It's a summertime dream after the nightmare of the COVID-19 pandemic. Next week, fully vaccinated Californians will be able to ditch their face masks in many places, possibly for good. We've come a long way since the infections pushed hospitals to the brink in December. Today, California has one of the lowest transmission rates in the country. More than 70% of adults have rolled up their sleeves for at least one dose of a vaccine. But many people still refuse to get the jab. Public health officials worry they will be at particular risk of infection from other unvaccinated people once the state reopens. I'm Erica D. Smith, in for Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is June 11, 2021. World leaders are gathering in England for the G7 summit. The Senate has confirmed Zahid Qureshi as the first Muslim American federal judge in US history. And the musical In the Heights is now in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. Check it. Today, we bring you to the front lines where canvassers are making a final push to get holdouts vaccinated in Los Angeles. We'll also talk to LA Times columnist Sandy Banks about her struggles to persuade her own sister to get the shot. At this late stage of the pandemic, most people in California have managed to get vaccinated. Nationally, roughly 61% of those eligible have received at least one dose. Vaccines are plentiful, yet many remain reluctant. This is especially true in California's rural north, where fewer than 45% of mostly white residents have rolled up their sleeves. It's also true in Los Angeles County, where fewer than 40% of Black and Latino residents have gotten at least one dose. Public health officials worry what will happen to unvaccinated people once the vaccinated start removing our masks next week. Those who flout the rules and start mingling with other unvaccinated people could lead to new outbreaks of COVID-19. So who are these holdouts? Why are they holding out? And most importantly, what will get them to stop holding out? I wanted to know, so recently, I joined a group of canvassers as they went door to door in a neighborhood of well-kept homes and impeccable yards in South LA, all in search of the unvaccinated. How you doing? My name is Doug, the Community Coalition. A Community Coalition. We're off of 81st and Vermont. My day started at a nearby park. I met with staff and volunteers from Community Coalition, a nonprofit that has been working with public health officials to encourage more people to get vaccinated. Since April, the nonprofit has been sending paid and volunteer outreach workers to canvass the overwhelmingly Black and Latino neighborhoods of South Los Angeles. The goal? To knock on every door across 15 zip codes by the end of June. Hi, my name is Pierre Sandoval. I work with Community Coalition. We're a social justice organization that's trying to help the community heal from the impacts of COVID-19. One of the first canvassers I met was Pierre Sandoval. He's a young Latino dude who I walked with as he rang doorbells. We were both masked and socially distanced. Basically, my partner and I, what we're doing, we're going door to door asking community members like yourself if you've been vaccinated or need help signing up for the COVID-19 vaccine. We've been vaccinated. Thank you very much for your time and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Pierre is reassessing his career options after a recent stint as a math teacher. He grew up in South LA, not far from where we were walking. So he understands how people think. They're not used to free healthcare. <laughs> yeah. 
like when have you ever heard like even as a you know working yeah. adult like free healthcare free covid shots right so not only were they used to bad conditions but then when you tell them something's free it's like okay so wait a minute why is it free you know like what's in it you know and then all these propaganda things start coming up you know like um i've heard if you put a magnet next to your arm that uh the magnet's gonna stay to your arm like i've heard all these things and like it makes sense why you know our people are kind of like you know is this real is this you know something should i should trust so. canvassers like pierre have been pounding the street since april so far they've knocked on more than 10,000 doors and have helped hundreds of people book vaccination appointments. Most of the residents we encountered that day were actually vaccinated, but for the most part, the canvassing has been an uphill battle. Some people say they can't take off work long enough to get vaccinated or to deal with the side effects. And some say they don't have a way to get to an appointment. Another canvasser, David Nguyen, is a Vietnamese man recently out of prison and looking to do some good in a community he once hurt. He says some residents are more receptive to getting vaccinated than others. But most of the time, people are just afraid. And we sit there and we, we answer their questions to the best of our ability and we tell them, hey, that's your opinion. But if you have any questions whatsoever, and some people do have questions, and we'll have a conversation with them, and other people will continue to engage with them, and then they'll be like, all right, they're willing to put down their information so that they may get vaccinated a little later on. Most important is picking the right messengers. The canvassers aren't doctors or healthcare workers. Instead, many have been incarcerated and some have been homeless. They are overwhelmingly people of color who grew up in South Los Angeles. Douglas Jessup is one such canvasser. Douglas spent years behind bars and then was living on the streets for a time. For me, what I do is it's like, it's not just the vaccine for me. I'm like, yo, we're trying to build it. We need to build trust back into the communities. You know what I mean? It's like people do understand our struggles. I'm a person, I'm an advocate because I've been through a lot of it. Um, and that's also another kind of leg I step on out yeah. on when people get like afraid, you know, like, it's like, yeah. yeah. We'll have more after this break. I've been following this group of canvassers for a couple of hours when we stopped at a driveway in South Los Angeles. Here we met Myra Trahan, a 19-year-old college student who hadn't gotten vaccinated because she hadn't had the time to do her own research. Douglas Jessup, the canvasser, then took a stab at convincing her to book an appointment. I'll say, like, what would satisfy you enough to be like, okay, I'll go get it? Um, I'm not really sure. Like, I, I don't know what's really stopping me, and I don't know what's really could push me to get to it. I just need to know the long-term effects instead of just, you know, I need to know if this is something I need to get every month, every two months, every year, or is it just like a one-time shot type of thing? So, so with Pfizer, how that works is like you'll get two doses. So you get the first dose, and then you get the second dose down the line. If you wanted to get Johnson & Johnson, that's just a one and done. Johnson & Johnson's the one that where people have been getting, like, been talking about, like, there's blood clots and stuff like that. The research is kind of already out there, you know? Like, you can see that This conversation went on for a couple of minutes before Douglas offered to have someone else from Community Coalition follow up with Myra at a later date. Yeah. What we could do, though, for you is we could get your number, we can take it down, and then have a follow-up team call you. Want to do that? That's fine. Myra nodded, 
Douglas got her contact information. We laughed, we joked, and that alone was progress. The last stop of the day was at a house in the middle of a block we had already walked. But we had missed Jalen Nelson. We spotted him getting out of his truck in his driveway not long after his grandmother had left to go get a COVID-19 test. Jalen said he believes that COVID is real, but he figured he didn't need the extra protection of a vaccine because he wears a mask at work and never gets sick. I was still against it, but I guess so if everybody getting it, I know, you know, it's getting more common. Yeah, you just didn't, you just, you didn't really have a reason why you didn't want to get it? I know it's real enough. It doesn't take 10 people to know something's real. One person gets it and then somebody else gets it. That's, that's it for me. I know it's real. Yeah. But after talking to the canvassers and thinking about his older, more vulnerable family members, he changed his mind. I guess I'll take one and make G-Mom okay. feel good. <laughs> shadowing the canvassers with Community Coalition. I thought about how, for me, trying to persuade people to get vaccinated has become more than an academic exercise. A few weeks ago, I found out that my uncle and my aunt in Ohio, both pushing 80 years old, hadn't gotten vaccinated and have no plans to do so. Neither do a handful of my cousins. Like some of the people I met in South LA, they don't really seem to have a reason why they won't. And so reasoning with them has proved futile. My colleague Sandy Banks has faced similar struggles with her own family. Sandy lives in Los Angeles, while her younger sister Anita lives in Cleveland, Ohio. She wrote about the difficult conversations she's been having with Anita about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, my sister is hard to describe in a few words. Um, She's almost two years younger than me. My sister was always, I thought, my best friend. It wasn't until we were adults that I realized that I was also her idol and her role model. Our mother died when I was 19 and she was 17, and I kind of took over as the family. So to me, she's partly younger sister and she's partly like my kid. She's always been very kind of spiritual and new agey and smart and hardworking. She got a full scholarship to Wellesley after going to our crappy public high school. And she never married. She never had kids. She pursued a career as a musician for most of her life. And she's just always been the interesting sister, the one that you could take anywhere and she'd wind up with a bunch of friends and regaling people with stories, um, fearless in terms of, you know, going out and trying new things. And we have always been really close. She's like the person that knows everything about me, never judges I could talk to her about anything, and she feels the same way. And we don't see each other very much now. I left Cleveland in 79. We always just pick up right where we left off, and we forgive each other anything, and we can just talk about anything, and it's always been that way. So when COVID first hit last March, how did you react, and how did she react to that? When COVID hit, I didn't even talk about that with her. I just presumed that everybody was doing what we were doing. And I was so kind of consumed with my own health and safety. I've got asthma and, you know, I'm older. And I have three daughters who are all who I was worried about then. So we didn't talk very much. I just presumed that she was doing the same thing I was. And I know Cleveland had kind of a different attitude. They weren't as strict as we were. 
And she was still doing things like thrift store shopping is one of her favorite things to do when she was still doing that. But she was always masked. And um, one thing, though, she is in a singing group. It's a Afrocentric kind of singing group. And they were still performing places. And when they weren't performing, they were rehearsing. And this was before you could get vaccines and there were no masks. So I knew there were some places, some things that she was doing that I would not do. But I still figured we were, you know, of the same mindset. Did you talk about what she was doing versus what you were doing much? And No, 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 I didn't go there. I didn't. I'm not going to pick a fight with her. I presumed she was taking, you know, precautions to be safe because I tell you, she's a big believer in natural remedies. She's turned me into one, too. There were times I did things I felt like I was getting sick long before COVID. And she always had some kind of a formulation that might work. And it did. So I didn't worry about her. And she didn't worry about me. I mean, we, you know, we just trusted each other. Honestly, it wasn't until the vaccine became available and she emailed me kind of out of the blue saying, I hope you don't get the vaccine and here's why. That was our first COVID talk and that was back in January. How did you react to that when you first got that email? Um... I'm not proud because I reacted kind of angrily. I mean, we're used to my sister pursuing alternative things. When our father had cancer and he was dying, she was very interested in taking him to Mexico to get Laetrile or something because the doctors could do nothing else for him. And I knew she didn't trust conventional medicine as much as I do. But I was surprised that she would not take the vaccine. And I was surprised that she would not take it because of the perception that it was going to do damage. So I kind of responded with, you know, I've been covering a lot about COVID and I've talked to all the experts and I know, and I've seen people who later died. So, you know, save this. Uh, you don't, you're not going to convince me. When I look at the emails, I was kind of hostile. And I think that also reflected, I was a little bit scared too. I mean, it's new. And I didn't like her throwing like doubt into the formula for me. Is that... Still her biggest reason why she won't get vaccinated because she's concerned that it will do more harm than good? Yes. I've realized there's not a map and, you know, you have this country that's this reason and this one that's another. The borders are porous. But I think she doesn't trust the pharmaceutical companies to act in our best interest, that they're acting in the interest only of making money. I think she honestly does believe that there are many things you can do beyond wearing a mask that can protect you from COVID. And I think she just thinks that we don't know enough to be able to protect that far down the line. She said, honestly, she's more worried about my daughters than she is about me too, because, you know, we're toward the end, but they're at the beginning. And what if five years from now we discover that it does X, Y, Z? So it was mostly a health issue. But it was also an issue of, you know, who do you trust? Do you trust your body or do you trust your government and the money-making medical establishment? So when you've been talking with her and I guess in some points trying to persuade her to get vaccinated, how do you push back? What arguments have you used over time? I've sent her a lot of um, stories about that specifically address things like, can it cause infertility? No. And here's why. You know, how does it work? And she read it all and she was, you know, really impressed. But it led to more questions from her that I couldn't answer. And I began to realize that 
there was no amount of scientific stuff that I could send her that would make a difference because the truth is, at the end of the day, all the doctors can say is there is no evidence that this is going to cause any harm. And if that's not good enough for you, if what you want is 100% certainty that you are you know, going to be protected from the virus and not going to be harmed by anything else, there was nothing I could offer there. And, I, and if that was her threshold, I couldn't help. My big fear was, I don't want to wind up on a ventilator. I've seen it, you know, I know it, I don't want to do it. And hers was just, um, I don't want something to emerge years later that I could have avoided if I just hadn't got this vaccine. And I rely on my body, I trust my body. If I even, if I do get COVID, that I'll recover. You, you wrote in your column, you know, about the social networks that you have versus what she has. And, you know, Ohio is, Cleveland in particular, is very different from L.A. and different types of people. How do you think that influenced her, her thought process when she was talking and thinking through doing this or whether to do this? I think that her social network and her social system, you know, the people that she knows and, and, is, and her friends influenced her a lot. And think about it. Your friends tend to be people that you're close to because you feel the same way on things. And her friends are, most of them are of the unconventional type and and very natural eaters and natural livers. And she's never drank or smoked or done anything. And that's who her friends are. And so they were circulating all of these social media things and, you know, including things like this is all the work of some evil cabal, you know, who's set out to kill people. And, And even as she dismissed that kind of thing, it puts the seed of doubt in you. And if all of your friends, people you respect and admire, feel this way, then maybe there's something to it. And that's what she kept saying when she talked about the videos she watched, that it felt plausible, you know, after a while. And honestly, Erica, I, at one point, I'm developing arthritis and and my knees and my joints hurt a lot. That was right after the vaccine. And when that reemerged like a month later, my first thought was, oh my God, what if this is the vaccine? And it's uh, now my knees are going to give out. And I wouldn't have had that thought if I hadn't been surfacing all this stuff that she's been following. At that point, I could see, okay, this is why it's easy for her to believe that because that's what she's surrounded with. I think she probably might not know anyone except our family and our extended family who's gotten a vaccine. We'll have more after this break. You know, given, as you talked about, the doubt, do you think there's anything you can say or do to change your mind? Or have you more or less just given up and, you know, willing to kind of let her make up her own mind in time? You know, I gave up, honestly, a long time ago. We started this in, I want to say the beginning of February, I think. And I realized pretty soon this would be a a sense of, here's my evidence. And then she'd send back, well, here's my evidence. And it didn't really matter if I found her evidence plausible, and it didn't really matter what she thought of mine. The reality is we're all kind of entitled to make our own decisions about this. And this is a decision my sister's made. She's made it based on things that make sense to her. She's not one that would ever put anybody at risk. She's wearing her mask everywhere she goes. And so the question I had to wrestle with, is this 
my responsibility. And you know, the one card I never pulled, I mean, I did tell her early in our discussion, part of the reason I want to get it is because I want to protect my family. I've got two granddaughters. I've got three children. I want to protect them. But I never used that to bludgeon her, you know, into submission. You're selfish or whatever. I never used that. And and I, because I know she's not a selfish person. And I wasn't going to guilt trip her. I mean, at some point, I just realized that my role in this was not to convince my sister to get the vaccine. My role was to try to understand her and then communicate that to a bigger world because there are a lot of people that are like her and they're not stupid and they're not evil and they're not right-wing freedom fanatics. They're just people who have doubts and who have fears. And, and I heard from a lot of them. I imagine you got emails not just from people who don't want to get vaccinated, but also from family members who were probably trying to get others. Is there any sort of advice that you could give people about that or the ways to think about those things? The first wave of letters and emails and things were, you idiot, you're an idiot and your sister's an idiot. Why do you put this drivel out? And, you know, it was people who were really angry. And then there was a wave of, you're an idiot, but your sister's right, you know? And they were also really firmly entrenched in there. Either it was about freedom or it was about health or it was about public health and Black people and we don't trust them. But then there were a lot of what you say, a lot of people saying, Uh, There's one that a woman who said, I was so glad to hear it because this is how I feel. And I'm the only one in my family not vaccinated. My husband's pushing me. My daughters are pushing me. And every time I think I'm ready, then I see some new video about how something's wrong. And she said, I think I'm going to come around, but I'm going to come around when people understand that they have to let me be me and stop pushing me because every time somebody pushes me or offers me some bribe, you know, to do it, oh, you can win a lottery or you can do that, then I think, ah, this is a conspiracy. So that was really enlightening for me. And then I heard from one woman who's married, has a new baby. She, her husband are vaccinated and her sister is dying to come see the baby and meet the baby, but her sister refuses to get vaccinated. And she asked me, for advice. You know, what can I say to convince her? And I had to say, you can't really. And you can explain why it means so much to you. This is a new life I'm entrusted with. I'm not going to take any risks, sister. I love you dearly. And maybe in August you can come. Set an end point, you know, that's reachable. If you come, we will only be outside and you have to wear a mask every moment. My daughter told me that before the vaccine when she had a baby. You can come. You have to bring a negative test, and you have to wear your mask all the time. And it's just like my sister made her decision about not vaccinating. My daughter made her decision about these are the conditions for a visit. And I think that's what we're just going to have to adapt to each other and recognize that, you know, as grownups, we have autonomy to make decisions that are right for us. And if it's my decision and it's right that you can't see my child, you have to abide by that. And you can be mad at me if you want, but, you know, so so my advice was just to be clear in your own mind about how far you're willing to go to accommodate people and make that clear in a very loving way. I love you. I'll be so glad when you can see my baby, but it's not now, not if you're not vaccinated. You know, there's been a lot of narratives that have come out about vaccine hesitancy. I mean, there was the 
you know, and there's truth probably in all of them. There's the black people don't trust the government, you know, one. Now we we see a lot of um, mostly white conservative folks that don't want to get vaccinated either for different reasons. How do you think we should be talking about big umbrella vaccine hesitancy in a way that's more productive that wouldn't necessarily turn off people like your sister, but also would, you know, kind of still educate people. Is there a way that we should be talking about this going forward? I think it's hard to talk about vaccine hesitancy under a big umbrella because you can't win people over by alienating or shaming or trying to humiliate them or make them sound stupid. I think that you have to, I mean, you know, the the freedom people fine, you know, this is their freedom and they can do that, but maybe let them know more about what it's like to die of COVID. There was a, an interesting show I heard where Republican Party got all these focus groups together to try to talk to them about vaccine hesitancy. And a large number of them switched or at least relaxed their hesitancy after the group. What convinced them was Chris Christie, the ex governor, you know, Chris Christie of New Jersey, coming in and talking about how he got COVID at a White House event, and this person got it, and this person got it, and this person. And he did fine, but the person that wound up in the hospital was a young woman who ran five miles a day and was only 35 years old and had no health issues, and she almost died. And that's what swayed them, because then they realized, "Uh uh-oh, maybe this is not in my control, Maybe I can be doing all the right things and thinking my health is great and I could still die. I think that kind of research into what it takes to sway people is really important. And I think that listening to people and ask them, you know, what are you specifically concerned about? And talk to them about it. Just like if we're willing to go door to door to to give vaccines, we ought to have a component that's willing to go door to door. And when you meet people that are resistant, be, you know, willing to sit down and talk to them about it. And then ultimately, we may just have to accept that we're going to have, you know, a significant group of people who are not vaccinated. And one doctor told me, Dr. Rutherford in San Francisco, that it is better to be an unvaccinated person in a pool of vaccinated people than to be that vaccinated person in a pool of unvaccinated people. But again, you know, everybody's going to make the decision that feels comfortable to them. But I think we're going to have to ultimately be smarter and more specific about addressing vaccine hesitancy and maybe even take that label off of it and stop lumping people all together and just one by one, just like we're going to have to one by one get people vaccinated, maybe we can one by one persuade the doubters that it's really safer than being unvaccinated. So how's your sister doing now? My sister is doing fine. She's healthy and she's fine and she's very happy to be able to go to the library again. You know, she's she's doing okay. And I was worried about how the story would hit her, but she said she really liked it and she really liked the reflection of there being echo chambers that we are each tethered to and that, you know, amplify our views. So I think, honestly, she may be more persuaded to be vaccinated by reading about herself, you know, in print than just having the conversation. That's my secret hope.
Thanks, Sandy. Thank you, guys. Erica can interview me anytime. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Julia Turner and Shawnee Hilton. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Erica D. Smith. Gustavo will be back on Monday with all the news and more. Thanks. <laughs>